You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Amen. 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 So good to see you this morning. Happy Easter, Redeemer. I'm glad that you came to worship with us and excited for those of you who are joining with us online as well. Uh, Jesus literally changed everything 2,000 years ago, and today Jesus still changes everything for us. Uh, For Christians, for those of you who are believers in Jesus and followers of Jesus, Easter is truly everything to us. Uh, Not just this Easter Sunday once a year, but the reality that Jesus Christ rose from the dead that we carry in our hearts every single day of our lives is uh, the, the epicenter of what it means to be a Christian. It means that Jesus is, in fact, who he claimed that he was. He does, in fact, have the power that he claimed that he had. He can do what he said that he could do. It proves that it puts him in a category all by himself. It raises him above every other religious leader and every other icon in human history, the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and he is still in the business of raising people. He's still in the business of forgiving people and changing people, and Jesus still changes everything. If you have read much about world history, biblical history, or even uh, just the New Testament, you know that when Jesus rose, things drastically changed. Uh, It changed the disciples. There were uh, 12 men that had given up three plus years of their life to follow Jesus and listen to his claims and heard what he said and what he had promised. And even up until the crucifixion, some of these men, they they were cowards and they had turned away and they had run. Even Peter himself, the leader of all of the 12 disciples, the night Jesus was betrayed and crucified, Uh, He was a coward and he ran and he was filled with shame and did not want to be associated with Jesus or the movement of Jesus or the uh, reflection of Jesus on him or what Jesus' opponents and his enemies were doing to him. And so instead he denied that he even knew him at the crucifixion and ran and hid. And then Jesus rose and Peter was convinced and was not the same man ever again. He went from a coward to being a martyr. In fact, the Apostle Paul, you go on in church history, he would lead such a powerful life sharing the gospel and planting churches because he believed Jesus was in fact who he said he was and could do what he said he could do. He would go all the way to his own death and they would try to crucify him. So when they crucified his Lord, he was scared and he ran and hid. When they were going to crucify him, he said, turn it around, crucify me upside down. I don't deserve to even die the same way that my Lord Jesus did. And they crucified Peter upside down. Paul went from persecutor to persecuted because of the resurrected Jesus that he met in the flesh. Countless pagans were turned into pastors, me being one of them. Skeptics were turned to soldiers of the cross. If you remember the story of Thomas, who was a skeptic, even after Jesus rose from the dead, he's like, I don't know if I believe that. Sounds a little crazy. Sounds a little outlandish. He was a skeptic until he put his hand in Jesus' side, was convinced that Jesus was the Lord, was Christ, and turned from skeptic into soldier. Jesus appeared to hundreds of people in Israel in the flesh within a few weeks of rising from the dead and this movement of Jesus followers that were convinced that Jesus was the Christ would grow within a few weeks to tens of thousands of people 
very quickly it would grow to uh, upwards of a million people that would overtake the Roman Empire and it would turn to what we know today of as a little over two billion people that have been convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus has changed everything. His death and resurrection is the single most impactful event in human history. It has marked the globe more than any other human event that we have witnessed. Jesus rose from the dead. And the Apostle Peter got the incredible privilege to preach the very first Easter sermon. And so I'm going to steal his sermon, just so you know, up front, I'm giving credit to Peter, so it's not plagiarism. So you have a, if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read what Peter preached uh, when he was preaching the first Easter sermon. Peter, again, he was one of the 12 disciples. So when Jesus began his ministry at about age of 30, uh, he called 12 different men and invited them to, on a journey to become not just disciples of his, but then leaders of this movement of Christianity. And Peter was one of those 12 who was a fisherman that Jesus invited and called him in and said, I'm going to make you a a fisher of not just fish, but a fisher of men. And then even those 12, there were three, Peter, James, and John, that had a little more access to Jesus than the other 12. They were Jesus' best friends, and they would see things that others would not see. They would hear teaching that others did not hear. Peter was one of those three. And Peter would be the one that Jesus would, give, would commission to be the leader of the disciples and to be the leader of the church after Jesus died and rose and ascended. That's Peter. Peter's one of the twelve. He's one of the inner three. And at the cross, again, uh, he ran and he hid and he was a coward until Jesus rose from the dead. And if your leader has risen from the dead, then nothing else matters. Amen? If your leader has, rose, has risen from the grave, certain things that used to scare you don't scare you anymore. Certain things that used to terrify you and make you run, they don't terrify you and make you run anymore. And he preached this sermon in Jerusalem just a few weeks after Jesus, his leader, was crucified. Uh, This was around Pentecost. Uh, So Pentecost is a big Jewish festival uh, that would happen in Jerusalem. And Jews all over the Roman Empire that had been scattered out uh, for various reasons, uh, multiple times a year would come back to Jerusalem to celebrate and to have uh, festivities and to see family and to have feasts. And there was this celebration that was called Pentecost. And uh, some historians believe that the city of Jerusalem would swell to upwards of a million people, uh, Rome, Jews from all over the Roman Empire, that would converge on the city for a few days. And so if you could imagine family that hadn't seen each other uh, in years, uh, perhaps getting together, celebrating, eating, and there was a buzz going on in the city like had never taken place at Pentecost because everybody kept talking about Jesus. Everybody kept talking about this leader that was crucified and that just a few weeks before this celebration had risen from the grave. So in this collection of, of people that would have been in Jerusalem at Pentecost would have been some, uh, some of Jesus' followers that had witnessed everything that he had done, that had been at the, the meal where he took a few loaves and fish and he fed uh, 25,000 people, perhaps some people that were there that heard Jesus preach uh, the Sermon on the Mount. No doubt some of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day in Jerusalem were there who were responsible for uh, putting Jesus on the cross. Maybe some Roman soldiers uh, were there at Pentecost in the city. Uh, Perhaps plenty of skeptics, plenty of people that were living their lives very far from God. An unbelievable mix of people that were hearing this buzz about Jesus being raised from the dead. And so Peter sees an incredible opportunity to preach about Jesus. 
And so in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches the first Easter message about the resurrection, and he's going to talk about who, in fact, Jesus is. And he's going to frame Jesus in two ways with two different words that you'll see in just a second. But what he does is he wants us to have a clear and a crisp understanding of, of, of just, in fact, who Jesus is. Because it doesn't matter what your story is or what your past is or what your questions are, the most important thing about your life is the very same thing, is when you decide who Jesus actually is. He is too big of, a, of an icon in human history to simply set aside. We can't ignore him. You can't ignore him as a, as a marker of history. You can't ignore him because the entire world's timeline has been split in half by this man's life and death. You can't ignore him because of the claims that he made that he was God and that he did, in fact, have the keys to, 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 to hell and to heaven. You can't ignore the fact that he said that he was the only way, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And then he rose from the dead and began began a movement as a single young Jewish man in poverty, homeless, that would reach 2.2 billion people. You just simply cannot step aside Jesus. And so Peter, knowing who he is, he preaches this unbelievable yet short His sermon actually might be even shorter than mine, a very short sermon that Easter Sunday, but he begins to preach in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, and you can kind of imagine yourself sitting there that day. Uh, This would have been an Easter, maybe a Sunday, to celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the grave on a Sunday. So I'm sure there were Pharisees screwing around the city, hiding plastic eggs full of candy. I'm sure some of the Sadducees were dressed up like giant Easter bunnies wandering in and out of town. I'm sure everybody had their bright pastel colors on, right? Now here's the setting that all these people were gathered together probably for some sort of feast. And then Peter begins to clear his throat and he stands up and with a very bold voice as one who follows a leader who has defeated Satan, sin, and death says this. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. If you have a Bible, follow along with me. If you don't, it's on the screen here for you. Peter, preaching to the people who had crucified his leader, fearlessly says this, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. And that is a fantastic way to start a sermon. If you ever get an opportunity to preach, best case is to start with Jesus. He says, everybody listen up. I've got something to say. Jesus of Nazareth, not just, I'm sure there were multiple uh, people named Jesus. In fact, I got really excited this week when we started pushing out information about uh, Easter at Redeemer. Uh, Three different uh, men in Midland named Jesus said that they were coming. And I got so excited. I was like, oh my gosh, Jesus is coming to Easter at Redeemer. There probably would have been multiple Jesuses in his day. So Peter's very clear. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Jesus was a very public figure. What God was doing through his life and his ministry was not something that was, as the Bible says, was not hidden in a corner and done in private and not verifiable. Peter says, listen, you people were there. Some of you heard him. Tens of thousands of people that would have been listening to Peter preach this day would have had met Jesus, had maybe been healed by Jesus, had seen the miracles and the signs and the wonders. And so Peter is saying, listen, this is how you're going to know and confirm that Jesus is in fact the one we're looking for. God, it says is going to attest him to you by mighty works and wonders and signs. So if you're wondering who the Christ is, look around. He's the one walking on water. 
He's the one changing water to wine. He's the one causing miracles to happen, raising people from the dead, and eventually raising himself from the dead. This is saying Jesus from Nazareth, God put his stamp of approval on him. And we all know this. This is public knowledge. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. If you study much about preaching, you find out that Peter and some of the New Testament preachers didn't really follow the preaching rules. You're never supposed to point your finger and say you. If there's something uh, difficult to hear or condemning in a sermon, you're always supposed to say we. Peter didn't do that. He looks out in the crowd and says, you guys murdered God. You are the ones who crucified Jesus. So the question is, who killed Jesus? The answer is his own people, the Jewish people. But the second question is, who took Jesus' life? And Peter's answer is no one. No one took Jesus' life. Jesus laid it down on purpose because he says this has been the plan all along. Delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God that from Genesis chapter 3 when everything in humanity fell apart and the promise of a Savior would come, Jesus was prepping for the cross. A thousand years before Christ is born, when the prophet David speaks of the crucifixion of the Messiah, his hands and feet would be pierced. Before crucifixion was ever even invented, Jesus was preparing and looking forward to the cross. In Isaiah 53, 700 years before Jesus would be born, it talks about this lamb being led to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he didn't even open his mouth. This was the plan all along for Jesus to lay his life down for sin sinners in our place for our sins. And then verse 24, he gets to the Easter message. He says, but God raised him up. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This was Peter writing this for us so that we know the resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years removed is not a metaphorical thing. It was a physical, bodily resurrection from the dead. He was in the grave for three days. God raised him up. He tore off the clothes and he walked out of the tomb alive and well. And then in verse 25, Peter preaching this Easter message shifts his gears to a hero of theirs named David. And he quotes David when David would write in the Psalms a thousand years before Christ was born. For David says concerning him or concerning Jesus, we we know of him very precisely of Jesus of Nazareth. A thousand years before when David was writing, he only knew him as the, the Messiah or the Christ or the Savior or the Lord that would come. He didn't know his name yet. And it says when David says concerning him, and you have to know a little bit about David to know the weight and just really kind of the strategy uh, for what Peter was doing. Uh, See, David would have been a a hero of the Jewish people. He was a king, and he wasn't just a king. He was like the king in their entire history. They loved him. He was a soldier. He had stories about how many men that he had defeated in battle. Uh, He was a prophet. Uh, He wrote books of the Bible, and God spoke to him. He was a poet. Uh, He wrote incredible poetry. He was an all-around unbelievable man, and he would be a hero of the Jewish people. And so Peter knows this, and he knows that a lot of people there might be putting their hope in David, or they're longing for a new kingdom in David, or all of their their worship was in somebody named David, and Peter uses that to preach to them. And he says, I see, quoting David from Psalms, I saw the Lord. So this is David saying a thousand years before, I saw 
the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades. This is David saying because I trust God and his Messiah. He's not going to abandon me and let me go to Hades. Which is another word for hell. Or let your Holy One see corruption. This is David a thousand years before predicting and prophesying and looking forward to Easter. He says, you're not going to let your Holy One see corruption, meaning the chosen, anointed Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, would not be left to decay in the grave. God will not allow him to stay there and to see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then Peter turns his attention from David to the listeners, and he says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. I think perhaps it was close enough that he had as a visual aid for his sermon, saying, I know that you love David, but look right over there. David's grave is there, and he's still in it. And if you'll notice over here on your left, you'll see the grave of Jesus that is empty. When I was growing up, all little kids, all the little boys had the same hero. Any guesses? Superman. All the little boys were wearing Superman underwear because that was the, what's what you did. I don't know why. And then you grow up and you get a little older and you find out that your hero actually had a hero. You're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know. Superman wore Chuck Norris underwear. And, I mean, this is like maybe, maybe a little bit of a stretch, but this is what Peter's saying. I know you guys, your hero is David and all the little Jewish boys are running around with David underwear, but listen up. David wears Jesus Christ underwear. This is what he's saying. Don't put your hope in David as your hero because his hero that he was longing for and looking for was Jesus. Like there's a king that's better than your king. Jesus isn't just a king in a long lineage of kings that's going to step in and be just like David. He's saying, no, King David, who you love and adore, bows his knee and worships this king. He's not just a prophet in a long line of prophets. He is the prophet that all of the Old Testament prophets were looking forward to like David, saying, I hope that you come. My my longing is for you. He's not just a long line of good philosophers and teachers and mighty men. He has been risen to a category all his own. If you look over there, you'll see, da- you'll see David's grave. He's dead and gone. David was looking for someone else. David was longing for someone else. David put his hope in someone else. And David was looking for and waiting for, in fact, Jesus, who would rise from the dead, defeating death. I have this picture in my mind that when you get to verse 36, this is kind of the climax of Peter's sermon. This is when he's laid the groundwork and really drawn them in to to understand how in the world they're supposed to respond and what they're supposed to do with this message. So I just imagine Peter taking a moment to collect himself, clearing his throat perhaps, maybe drinking some water. The moms in the crowd realize that Peter's about to give the point of the sermon, so they're, they're hushing the children and everybody's listening because they want to hear what Peter, the follower of Jesus who just rose from the dead, had to say. And I just imagine him clearing his throat and standing up on a box and shouting as loud as he could this climax to his sermon. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. 
He explains who Jesus is in two terms. He is both Lord and Christ. He is Lord and Christ. He is Lord and Christ. Package deal. You can't just pick one or the other. Jesus is the Lord and Jesus is Christ. Oftentimes we just get half of that picture, and especially on Easter. Especially on Easter, we really highlight the fact that Jesus is the Christ, which means the Messiah or the Savior. And maybe you go to church just once or twice a year around holidays. Maybe it's a family tradition um, that you have. And if that's the case, then uh, there's, a, there's a great possibility that you've only heard one sermon your whole life. You've just heard the sermon that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave so that we might be saved. You've just heard the portion about Jesus being the Christ and the Savior and the Messiah. And you think, I don't need to come back. They only have one sermon. I've heard it so many times. If they could come up with something new, right, I would come back. And so if that's you, I want to share with you, as uh, Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Because there, there's a way in which you can present Jesus, and this is all accurate. It's, it's not incorrect. It's just incomplete to simply portray Jesus as the Christ. And so maybe that's what you have heard. And oftentimes, I think in an effort uh, to, to get people, because, I mean, the, the reason we exist and the deepest part of my heart wants to see people become Christians and sometimes in an effort to see people respond to Jesus as the Christ or the Messiah or the Savior, will almost preach the gospel and present it in a way that Jesus is like desperate to have us on his team, that he's going to lower the bar, kind of like a car salesman. How many of you have ever bought a car from a used car salesman? If you're a used car salesman in the room, this is not a knock against you. This is just the reality of my experience uh, just recently. Uh, they kind of portray this, I will do anything to keep you from walking away. I will throw in some perks. I will haggle with you. I'll lower the cost. I'll give you some freebies. Or how about this? I'll go get my manager who has the authority to give you more perks and more freebies. Just don't leave. Just don't walk away. We will make a deal, right? They'll offer to vacuum it. They'll offer free oil changes for life. They'll offer to deliver it to your house. I don't know if that's all the time thing or just a COVID thing. They'll offer free uh, 0% financing and new car smell. And can we all just agree that new car smell is just unbelievable? And I don't know why it smells so good. Uh, I, I want, you know, I, I, I'm sure that they were presenting that as an option for, for people that wanted to follow Jesus. He was throwing out new chariot smell, but I just love the smell of new car smell. So they do all this and they just continue to lower the bar because there's kind of this mentality that I will lower the bar until we meet in the middle because I cannot let you walk away. And sometimes if we try to take that Jesus Christ is Lord and Christ and separate them and just deal with Jesus as a Christ or as a Savior, there's almost this mentality that, listen, Jesus will haggle with you. He will make a deal with you. He'll throw in some things. He'll lower the bar. He just desperately needs you on his team. And yet you encounter the historical Jesus of the Bible, and he wasn't like that. Yes, he, he was a savior, and he absolutely saved people and changed people. He offered salvation by grace alone, meaning that you cannot do anything to earn it. It's simply a free gift out of the benevolent and the good and the loving heart of God, that he's a savior by grace and that he's a savior by faith, that you don't have to throw in any of your good works. You don't have to add to it. One of the last things Jesus said on the cross was to tell us, die, it is finished, it was done. You don't have to contribute to your salvation. All you have to do is believe. It's not about your behavior. It's about what you believe. 
talked about being saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. When he rose from the dead, that put him in a category by himself. He is not with any other religious leaders. He has risen above them, and he says, There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved other than Jesus Christ. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and he preached that. Uh, But he also preached uh, not just what we are saved from, that we're saved from Satan, that we're saved from sin, that we're saved from ourselves, that we're saved from death, that we're saved from hell, which is the Christ portion of the gospel. But he also talked about what we're saved to, what we are saved from so that we can be saved to something. And if this side is being saved from, that's what Jesus does as the Christ, what we are saved to is Jesus Christ as Lord, meaning to obey and to worship Him. He is both Lord and Christ. Easter is not just about Him saving us, but it's about us worshiping Him. The word Lord, and it's used multiple, multiple times in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, but especially in the New Testament when it was referring to Jesus. If we're going to unpack who, pre- who Peter preached that Jesus was, that he is both Lord and Christ, that word he is using, it means a master or a ruler or somebody who has authority or power. It's used to describe someone who owned slaves at the time or who had indentured servants that would work for them. The Lord had absolute power and control over their lives and their schedules and what what they did with their, their lives and their selves. And so Jesus, when he preached, he offered salvation to all because he is the Christ. He's the Messiah, the anointed one that the Bible talked about for generations But then he also preached that he was the Lord, that he was worthy of people to abandon everything in their lives and worship him. And he would present that to them. And if somebody wasn't willing to pay that much, he didn't haggle with them. He didn't offer them free new chariot smell. He didn't lower the bar saying, oh, you know what? Let's talk. You can't walk away. We got to make a deal. Instead, he would say things like, I want you to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and to follow me. And there were multiple people that showed up, I'm sure, and were thinking, wait a minute, I thought you were a Christ, I thought you were a Messiah, and you were just to save me so that I could go about my way with my own agenda and living my life. But you said deny yourself, like I thought you were there to help me, uh, as as Maslow's hierarchy says, to help me have some self-actualization. I thought, Jesus, you were a Savior so that you could help me attain my dreams, and, and fulfill my, my longings and my, my destiny and to have all the things that I want. And so if you just remove the Lord portion of his character and who he is and his function and all you have is Savior, then you have this idea that, oh, I, I want Jesus to save me because I sure don't want to go to hell. Sounds hot, sounds bad. I don't want to do that. But I also, I'm just looking for a Savior, not looking for a new Lord, but it's a package deal. Peter says, you have made him both Lord and Christ. You remember the story about the rich young ruler who was rich and he was young and he was a ruler. And uh, he shows up to Jesus uh, with just some unbelievable questions because he had heard no doubt about who Jesus is and the weight that he carried as a Messiah and as a, as, as a teacher and a rabbi. And so he asks him what he must do to inherit eternal life. And basically Jesus gets down to the core of it because uh, the man uh, loved his money more than he loved Jesus and he was not willing to abandon all of that. And can you imagine for Jesus' ministry what benefit it must have been to have had a rich young ruler on your team? 
And if Jesus was just Christ and not the Lord, he would have lowered everything. You know what? Forget the whole deny. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a loophole in here. If you'll give a certain amount of money, then we'll let you. And you don't have to deny yourself. You don't have to take up your cross because I know that sounds difficult and you don't have to follow me. But he didn't do that. Jesus let people walk away. Because everybody wants a Christ, not everybody wants a new Lord. And so Jesus is both. He's made him both Lord and Christ. And so what was their response when Peter preaches that this is who Jesus is and these people that listened to it and internalized it? And their response in verse 37 is this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. If you realize you had just murdered God, you probably would too. They were cut to the heart. That's who that was. That's what we did. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, now bear in mind this is a a way to collectively say that this is how the masses were responding because there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people that heard Peter preach this day. I don't know if they had multiple services back to back and he would just repeat the same thing or if he would preach loud enough where they could hear. I know George Whitfield, this was recorded history from two centuries ago, preached loud enough without the aid of any electronics or microphones that 30,000 people could hear George Whitfield preach. So it's no stretch to think that Peter was preaching to 30,000 people. Now, they weren't six feet apart. There was no social distancing. They were all a big mob. He's preaching and their response was this. Brothers, what shall we do? If that's true, if Jesus is the Christ and he's the Lord, what do we do? I mean, this, this is the greatest response for anyone that hears a message from the Bible about Jesus, that you hear a sermon. It's not to defend ourselves. It's not to uh, cast blame on someone else. It's to internalize and say, if that's true, what should my response be? What should I do? And, and, and they very humbly said, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, which means to turn, to turn away from ourselves, to turn towards Christ. Don't put our hope in our works, put our hope in Jesus. Don't worry about trying to fix your situation. Just simply turn to repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And what baptism was, was a physical picture of what had happened four weeks before. That if you turn around and you repent and you put your faith in Christ, then we're going to put you underwater. Make sure you hold your nose, but we'll get you back up. Put you underwater like you're being buried in a grave and we'll raise you up just like Jesus rose from the dead. You're going to be raised spiritually to walk in newness of life. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter promised for those who would respond to the gospel in repentance and faith and being baptized would show that they truly do belong to Jesus, that God would, in fact, put his own spirit as a gift inside of believers. The believers would receive the seal of of redemption, a mark that we belong to Jesus. This is uh, what, what Paul would talk about as like the earnest money, the down payment and earnest money that you don't get back. The earnest money of our inheritance is the Holy Spirit in us. Verse 39, he says, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And when Peter preaches about those who are far off, he's not talking about those who are geographically far off. He's not like, good news, those of you who came all the way from Ethiopia or southern Egypt, this is for you too. When when he talks about being far off, he's talking about spiritually far off. Because I'm sure those were in the room thinking, listen, I just showed up for Pentecost. I just wanted the deviled eggs. I want to find the candy. 
I, I, my, my life is a disaster. I don't, my, my, my morality is a dumpster fire. My marriage is falling apart. I don't love. I don't honor. I don't obey God. They're very, very far from God. And so Peter preaches like, listen, this is for you. Jesus died for all, for all those who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And you read a few sentences later that 3,000 people believed that day and were baptized. And boom, you have the very first New Testament church. Because they responded to the gospel message that because Jesus died and Jesus rose from the dead, that that's in fact affirmation that God has made him both Lord and Christ. He is able to save. No one else is. He deserves to be the Lord and the boss and the master of our lives. And the the reason this is good news is because Jesus as Savior will, will save us. No one else can save you from Satan. No one else can save you from your sin. No one else can save you from death, and it's coming for all of us. No one else can save you except Jesus. But the reason it's good news is if we treat him as Lord, that he can actually do a better job with our lives than we can. How many of you have ever done a do-it-yourself project? How many of you have ever done a do-it-yourself project that you regret? That you think, probably should have hired a professional. Uh, There's certain things uh, in my life that I'm not great at, but I have enough confidence to be a do-it-yourselfer, and so I'll get myself into trouble. Uh, I'm not really a great mechanic, um, but I know enough to take something apart. Uh, So I uh, had a problem with my lawnmower last week, and I thought, you know what? I could get a professional, or I could do it myself. Save a little bit of money, take the lawnmower apart, fix what I think is broken, put it back together, turn around. There's a rather large pile of parts left. They weren't there when I started. I'm thinking, I wonder how important those were. I'm sure they just included an extra fuel line somewhere in the middle of the motor that you have to tear it apart to find out. Oh, gosh, I wonder if this spark plug is very important. And you get to that, you think, ah, I probably should have hired a professional uh, that maybe could have done a better job than me. Uh, maybe uh, it's your taxes. I don't want to bring that up, but it is tax season. So uh, maybe you're like, hey, you know what? I could probably save a little bit of money and do it myself. And you find out if you hire an accountant to do your taxes, probably get two times more in your uh, tax refund. Uh, quite a few years ago, uh, in fact, six days before... Uh, Hannah and I got married. I uh, was tying up some loose ends at the house. I just bought this house. Uh, we lived in Cedar Hill, just, uh, just south of Dallas. And I bought this house a few months before we got married. And I was getting it all ready, getting it all prepared, nesting, you might say. Uh, if nesting is a very masculine thing, then that's what I was doing. If not, I was fixing broken things. And the last thing that I had to fix was a water spigot on the outside of the house. And I thought, you know what? I could hire a professional that knows what they're doing, or I could do it myself. And I know just enough about plumbing to be a little bit dangerous. And so uh, I don't have time to share the whole story. But let's just say seven hours later, uh, 14 trips to Lowe's later, about $500 later, I am now with it. I have removed some bricks from the side of my house, was inside the wall trying to solder a copper pipe. When inside the wall, the flames go up. And I said, uh-oh, <laughs> should have hired a professional It was a lot faster in my mind because my house was on fire. Hannah was there putting last-minute details together. I was there with a friend of mine named Justin Gandy, and I just screamed into the house. I said, Hannah, call 911 and get the valuables out. And I go upstairs to the attic, and Justin's feeding me a water hose, and I'm fighting the fire in the attic, and I can look down the attic door into the garage, and I see my future wife, my fiancé, we're getting married in six days, and I had said, 
call 911, get out the valuables. And here she comes running. I think I, she claims it was the second trip. I swear it was the first trip out. She's just holding all of our wedding flowers. I'm like, no, I meant firearms. I meant computers. I meant money. And she's just like screaming like, hell or high water, like flood or no flood, I'm getting married on Saturday. And she comes running out and she saves the flowers. Uh, and uh, about 2 a.m., sitting in the, in, the, in the backyard, having coffee with the fireman who saved the day, showed up, put the house out um, before it demolished the whole house. Uh, he said, do you have any idea what caused the fire? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I got a, I got a little idea, and I, uh, I, I didn't tell him before I asked, like, what the uh, insurance implications are, and truly, like, what's the definition of arson? I wanted to get that out of the way, and I told him, I said, I thought I could save some money, you know, I probably should have got a professional, the whole, the whole, the whole story, and all this is to say that so many people, they were like, I want, I want God to save me. But I, I think I'll just kind of run my own life. I think I'll just kind of pull this life as do-it-yourself. I'll uh, operate my marriage the way that I want, my soul the way that I want, my family the way that I want, my sexual life the way that I want, my finances the way that I want. And Peter says that, no, Jesus, is a, it's a package deal. When you get Jesus, you get both Lord and Christ. Not only does he save us, but then we're supposed to hand him the keys, so to speak, so that he is Lord, which means we don't get to do what we want anymore. We do what he wants. We obey him. He's the master. He's the, he's the Lord. He is the boss. That's what it means for Jesus to be Lord. And it's good news because Jesus is a professional. Because Jesus can do more with your life than you can. Because Jesus, as Lord, can do more with your finances, with your marriage, with your soul, with your relationships, with your business, if He is Lord, than we can. I want to read this to you from C.S. Lewis, who is an author from a few decades ago that wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Many of you are familiar with that. In his book called Mere Christianity, uh, he talks about what it means to truly treat Jesus as the Lord. That sometimes we just want a Savior. We don't want Him rearranging our whole house. This is what C.S. Lewis has to say. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. And at first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks and the roof and so on. And you knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of throwing out a new wing here putting on an extra floor there and running up towers making courtyards you thought you were being made into a nice little decent cottage but he is building a palace and he intends to come live in it himself go back to Peter's first Easter sermon, he phrased it this way, that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So God can do more with your life than you can because He is designing it so that He can stay there. His Holy Spirit wants to live in you forever. So He's going to remodel as Lord more than you ever imagined. But if He's preparing a place that the Holy Spirit is welcome in, and He's, he's crafting you to look like Jesus, that is a good thing. Jesus can do more as Lord with our lives than we can uh, in, our own, 
in our own power and on our own agenda. I want to close with this, what the Apostle Paul has to say in Philippians chapter 2. You can turn there. You can uh, tune in on the screen here. This is Paul, who was a persecutor of Christians, put to death the first Christian, began the, uh, the, the martyrdom of the first century, trying to squash this Jesus movement, but was radically changed by the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead, met Paul face-to-face, said, I'm switching teams, you're now on my team, and you're going to go plant churches. And so Paul's responsible for really more than half of the New Testament. And, and Paul is instructing a church in, in Philippi, much like a church just like us, how to respond to Jesus as both Lord and Christ. And he says it this way. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he just takes a little pause and he describes who Jesus is. Who though he was in the form of God, meaning Jesus is God. He is deity. He existed as John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus, without a body, was, existed as the Word in heaven, fully conscious of what's taking place on the planet. In the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, meaning he wasn't so, um, he, he, he wasn't so prideful that he had to hold on to his identity as God so much that he couldn't let go of it and empty himself and become a man just like us. Did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He humbled himself. He came and he was born as a helpless child in a manger in Bethlehem. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is Christmas. This is what we celebrate at Christmas, that the deity became humanity and took on a very, very humble state. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. That's Good Friday. This is two days ago when we show that God became a man, grew up, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross, having given his life. No one took it. Jesus gave it. And therefore, God has highly exalted him. That's Easter. He raised him from the dead and exalted him where he's in a category of his own. Exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, this is the response that is rightfully due someone who rises from the grave and who is confirmed as both Lord and Christ. What do you do? How do you respond? I'm glad you asked. Bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every single tongue confess that Jesus Christ... That Savior, Messiah, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the King of kings that all the other kings bow down to. He's the prophet that speaks once and for all for God that all the other prophets look forward to. We are to bow our knees and to bend our hearts and confess that Jesus is in fact both Christ and Lord to the glory of God the Father. And God says the day is coming when every human being will be overwhelmed and recognize, in fact, who Jesus is. Some from heaven, some on earth, some in hell. Everyone will realize that Jesus is, in fact, both Lord and Christ. And a Christian is someone who has recognized that in this life, who he is, we bow our knee, we confess that Jesus 
Christ is Lord. And so we choose today, Easter, to celebrate this year. This is what we're going to do. We're going to bow our knee. We're going to sing our songs. And we're going to declare that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Let's pray and let's lift our hearts together. Lord Jesus, you are in a category by yourself as the Lord and Christ. God, you have done what no one else can do. Jesus, you, you predicted your own death. You laid yourself down on a cross for sinners. You rose from the dead to prove that you are who you say you are and that you do what you say you can do. Jesus, you are Lord and Christ. So I pray that this morning that anyone in this room that has not put their faith in you to be saved, that they would know that you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the one that died for their sins in their place to give them grace and mercy and forgiveness. I pray that they will meet you as their savior. That they wouldn't try to fix their problems or put things together. They would simply lean on your mercy and grace. Father, I pray that you might save some this morning, both in this room and online. And God, I pray that you might help us to recognize that you truly are the Lord that you will rule and reign over the cosmos that you created forever and ever. And so we bow our knees, we recognize that, we bend our hearts, and we sing to Jesus Christ the Lord. We love you. I pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.